It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It's a Friday edition of the podcast, so that means we have a nice long-form interview for you today, and today I'm joined by a guy I used to officiate football with uh, for a few years anyway. He has been a guy who's traveled all over the world. He's got uh, some great experiences. Uh, well, he'll tell you about his job, his career. He was able to escape California recently, so uh, God bless him for that. Uh, we're going to be joined by John Hyde today. He worked uh, in uh, the defense industry. I'll let him tell you all about that. Uh, he grew up in Ohio and uh, has recently retired. So uh, he's he's got nothing but time for it. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's uh, He was uh, gracious enough to join me today. So let's bring him right in to the program here. He's coming in. He's in the waiting room. It's our first time Zooming. And uh, there he is, Mr. John Hyde. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> John, it's been a while, man. Uh, you officiated football for a long time, and uh, I was a rookie kind of in your last few years. I, you know, I was just starting out, really. And uh, so some, some interaction there. But I think when was the last time we saw each other? I, I knew it was uh, off the field somewhere. We ran into each other. If I remember right, it was at Graziano's in Upland. That's right. That is right. Yeah, you're right, man. That was totally random. I think me and Max Hernandez were there. Yeah, hang, hang I, came, I think I came in there just to, no, no, no. I know what it was. I asked, I asked Max if he want to go get a drink. He said, I'm at Graziano's. And I showed up and I, you were there and I forget who else was there. But I mean, it was like, whoa, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, John, we, we uh, played some golf together. I was uh, one of my favorite things to do, even though I was a terrible golf golfer was to uh, play in the foothill citrus football officials golf tournament. And, and I used the term, the term tournament loosely because we were just there to yes, have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anything Bernanski was involved in, you know, it was going to be loosely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I talked to Joe on the podcast a, a few months ago and uh, you know, we talked about the golf tournament, how much fun that was, but yeah, the brotherhood of foothill citrus was, was great. Uh, John, we're going to talk a, about a lot of things, you know, your, uh, your career, your, maybe some of your officiating experience, but, uh, you know, first got to congratulate you on uh, retirement, man. Recently, last year, August of, uh, 2020, you were telling me, so got a glass here for you. Congratulations. And, uh, oh, oh, you happen to have one too. Uh, yes. I catch it. Yeah. Cheers. Sir. Basil, Basil Hayden. <laughs> mm, very nice. It's good to see you, man. Uh, well, well, John, uh, we'll talk about your career, but tell me about uh, where you grew up and, uh, you know, what region of the country or area of the country you grew up, little, uh, little John Hyde. I grew up in a little small farm town in Ohio called Strasburg. And the rest of the world is right down the road from Strasburg. <laughs> it's literally uh, about 20, 23 miles from uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And if you'll remember, when we had our banquets, guys would get stuff, 
and it came from the Hall of Fame. Well, I'd go back. Usually I was back about every year visiting the folks. And uh, I would always make a special effort to go up there and get souvenirs to be able to bring, come back for our, for our uh, banquets just so I could give them away. And uh, that was, I always thought that was kind of cool and neat. You know, it's, I, I got to see that place when it was first started. It looked like a little small waffle house. And then, <laughs> and then, and now it's just totally changed completely. It's, they've done really, really well with it, real well. So I, I grew up there, um, 1,100 people in town, not a whole lot to do. You go down, play in the creek, you on the swings behind the schoolhouse, you just have a good time and um, hit golf balls every now and then. The old kind uh, that got smiley faces on about every third time you hit them, and you're hitting them with wooden shafted clubs, and it's uh, it was a good little place to grow up. It was a good place to grow up. It was a good place to be away from too. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I love the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Been there a couple times. One of my favorite places. Uh, you know, I know most people are proud of where they where they come from, but but I think Ohio people really are. Uh, probably because it has a lot to do with their sports team. So were you a, a big Ohio sports kid growing up? Buckeyes. Buckeyes. Oh, Buckeyes. Of course, the football, the Ohio State football is just, it's awesome. And as they say, next man up all the time, next man up. And they usually got two or three guys fighting to be that next man up. So if you can get on the, if you get on first team with Ohio State, you've got a good chance of going someplace to further your career probably, you know, on the, on the next level, at least have a shot at it. Well, Ohio yeah. state's got a great football tradition. Um, you know, one of the, the blue bloods of the, of the big 10. And I think it was last year, that shortened season, of course, where they got all the way to the championship game and, and uh, lost to, you know, those dreaded Alabama uh, crimson tide. But uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, there was an urban Meyer era of Ohio state football and now, uh, they've they've moved on, but they seem to have they haven't really missed a, a beat. To your point of a kind of next man up, what's your current thoughts on the current state of uh, Ohio State? Ryan Day is probably one of the going to be one known as one of the best Ohio State football coaches they've ever had. I think he knows how to recruit. He knows the game really well. He's really connected with kids, and um, he he has a lot going for himself, and the program has a lot going with him. Oh yeah. But oh yeah. That's, yeah. that's where I'm seeing it. And, and of course it, the definition of any good program is how many of your assistant coaches go on to become head coaches to someplace else. Oh yeah. You know, and you, there's all kinds of Ohio state guys in the, in the ranks all over the place. Oh, all over. And that's, what's been amazing about Alabama is all the coaches that have moved on to coach as head coaches elsewhere. Um, the one thing I think Ohio state has going against them as far as, you know, the other big programs in America, you know, Texas, and although they haven't been relevant in years, but Alabama, all the schools in the SEC it, is the weather. It's cold in Ohio, John. It's real cold. That's one reason I'm not living there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Snow belongs on top of the mountains like God intended and not in my driveway. <laughs> that is beautifully said. That is spoken like a, a true Californian. Oh, man. So what about pro sports? Were you interested in pro sports at all? I grew up being a Browns fan. It was like 70 miles to Cleveland from home. And of course, that's, you know, that's who you rooted for because I think that's who dad rooted for maybe. But at the same time, it was like, oh, I can't root for those Steelers. They're from Pittsburgh and they're no good. (laughs) Little did I know. (laughs) When I was a kid, the Browns were awesome. 
yeah, they uh, broke many hearts many times as far as, you know, playoff runs and everything. But yeah, yeah. The Cleveland sports fans to me, it's kind of, Hey, you, you need to be miserable. Like the rest of us is kind of, kind of my thought. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but, but anyway, so when did yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So what about height? You know, I always ask people, cause I'm curious of, of, you know, people growing up. Cause, cause these days, not everyone plays sports, which is kind of weird to me, but did you play sports like a normal kid kind of in high school? Well, yeah, there was, what was really fortunate where I grew up was there was like 1100 people in town. Okay. And their little surrounding area, we had a small school. And I think there were like maybe 820 kids K through 12. So everybody, if you wanted to play sports, you had an opportunity to play. So I played football, basketball, and ran track. And it was one of the best parts of your life, as far as that goes. I mean, it was the camaraderie that you always had with your buddies and everything like that. And just being able to get out there and play, kick somebody else's butt every now and then. And you don't get yours kicked every now and then as well. But I mean, it's, that was life, as far as that goes. But yeah, I had a, uh, had a good time with it. In fact, my, uh, my high school basketball coach was... Um, Bobby Huggins' dad up until uh, I was a sophomore. And then he moved to a different school district so he could coach Bobby. Wow. Bob Huggins is the uh, currently the head coach at West Virginia University. Yeah. And yeah. coached at Cincinnati for a few years. So, wow. So his dad coached you. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And if you didn't know what the fundamentals were, then you did a lot of running <laughs> until you learned. And I was, I was a quick learner. Let me tell you, I was a quick yeah. learner. <laughs> I think, I, let's see. I think they call them uh, rundamentals. Rundamentals, right? Yeah, rundamentals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was—he was one of those that—that uh, that if you screwed up, then everybody else did too. So you all had to run. <laughs> so we put pressure on our, each other to not screw up. What a concept! You're telling me you didn't like just just uh, you know hug your buddies if they made a mistake and said, "Hey, it's going to be okay, man." You know, oh, you know, there you go. It was thanks, asshole. Okay, <laughs> we're all running. <laughs> accountability i i can't believe it existed one time uh very cool very cool stuff so i played high school sport and you're right john it was it was it's so hard to like even all these years later like think back and be like man i miss it i miss playing because it was yeah no worries except let's go work hard and prepare and, and try to beat that team across the way well you know as, as you get older you'll find out that you still think you can be as fast as you were in high school. <laughs> and the only thing I remember doing really, really well was scoring three touchdowns against Polk High School to win the city championship. Nice. To quote Al Bundy. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Took me a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned that uh, there's more to life than uh, there's more to life than high school sports, but it prepares you for it. Oh, man. Absolutely. I, I don't know how kids these days don't play sports. They don't learn to lose. They get trophies for participating uh, and for, you know, everyone makes the team. No one's cut. I mean, I just don't understand all that stuff, but Hey, that's the the world we live in, I guess. Uh, so after high school, John, what did you get involved in? I know you, you retired, retired from uh, your career, which we'll talk about, but did you go right into that? Did you go to college? Did you work? part-time where, where, where now, I, I went to I went to college in a town called Searcy, Arkansas. It was a little Christian school. And um, I think it was maybe there was less than 2000 students there, but it was a lot bigger than my high school was. So as far as that goes, I, 
I went to a little bit bigger pond, but it was still kind of a sheltered pond, so to speak. Uh, I got a degree in biology. Um, I took the, I, the one regret I have was not taking seven years to finish college instead of only doing it in five years. <laughs> it's, it's some of the, the best times in your life, actually. Um, and you should take full advantage of that. But uh, I, that's where I met the, the exes from there. And she happened to be from Glendora. And oh, that's where, yeah, like and that's them. where I, that's where I ended up at in Glendora. Then I got divorced. And then uh, that's after I got divorced is when I started to officiate. So, so you go from Ohio all the way, yeah. small town, very small. You go to Arkansas, which is a yeah. small college as well, but bigger than where you at. And just randomly, you meet someone there who's from Glendora, California, which is where I was born and raised. And he say, hey, well, I guess I'm going to California. And that's kind of almost how it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Almost kind of how it worked out. So, so when so, you came out to California, is that when you started uh, in, in is your career with the, the Defense Logistics Agency? I started uh, about, let me see, three years after I got to California. I think that's about right. Something like that. Okay. Um, and then, uh, boom, I was with them for 37 years. What was your initial thought? of California being a kid from the Midwest who went to college in the South and now you're, now you're on the left coast. What was your initial thought? Did you like it back then? Dude, California was the, uh, that was the golden globe, so to speak of where everybody, where I was growing up, where everybody wanted to go and just be part of. In fact, one of my buddies when I was a, a freshman in high school, he ran away and me and another friend looked at each other and goes, he's going to California. They caught him in St. Louis. He, they found him in St. Louis. He was hitchhiking to California. <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't know if he ever made it out here or not, uh, or not out here, but where I'm at now, but out to the California or not. He's uh, uh, no longer with us. But at that time, it was like, yeah, we knew exactly where he was going because he talked about going to Hollywood all the time. I mean, it was incessant. But uh, my first reaction when I got out there was, wow, this is really kind of neat, but it's kind of like really big. And there's a lot of people. And these freeways, what? You want me to drive on these freeways? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because Glendora, I guess to Southern California standards, it's, it's a kind of a small town, but it's nowhere near where, where, you, know, where you were growing up. So, uh, and then just Southern California in general, I, I know at one time it was a wonderful place to live. And it wasn't as crowded or as expensive maybe back in the day. But uh, now there's not many people coming into California. They're, they're leaving. They're going the other way, which I know you did last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. I now live in North Carolina, right in the Pinehurst uh, area, which is, you know, big golf. I mean, you can't turn around and drive four or five minutes almost any direction. There's a golf course. I love it. It's, it's pretty crazy. And I love it. It is absolutely beautiful. Um, the reason they call their colors are blue and white is you, you see the skies out here and the clouds. Oh, let me tell you, absolutely gorgeous. I heard uh, a friend of mine always, he had lived in North Carolina for a few years. He all, every time there was a clear day in California, he said, you know, God is a Tar Heels fan. Otherwise he wouldn't have painted the sky uh, Carolina blue. Yeah. And I, I always yeah. found that funny. But uh, man, so freedom, you live in a free state. What a oh, man. I, God bless you, John. We just got our, our, uh, you know, our, our handcuffs off recently. Oh, I mean the mask and all, but uh, man, what's you go from 
California to North Carolina. I mean, what a what a change. Uh, it's a huge change. Now, even though the, the governor here is um, left of center, I'm going to be polite, but um, um, the legislatures really pound on him hard. You know, so he has to he has to mind his P's and Q's here a little bit. But the sheriff in the county where I live said, "All that mask stuff. If you expect me to enforce it, you can go pound sand. You can go pound sand. That's all there is to it." I think live and live and let be is a is a good way to yeah. run things. You know, no no matter what the the policy the subject matter is, it's probably a good uh, policy to have. So. Well, that's awesome, John. I'm happy. I'm happy for you living in North Carolina now, retiring and moving out of here because, uh, man, it, it's been a rough. Well, it's been a rough few years, but it's been a rough year in California for sure. Uh, well, let's talk about your career. You you worked in the Defense Logistics Agency. How did you get involved in that? You had this degree in biology. Did that help? What what got you involved in this? I it was kind of weird. It was um, a friend of mine was worked for them. And I just happened to ask one day, are they looking for applicants? Are they hiring? And he said, yes, they are. I asked, could you get me an application? Sure, not a problem. I'll even help you fill it out because they are, it's a government it's a government thing. So, you know, it's got there's a lot of BS that has to be done, especially for an initial hire of some sort. And we waded through it and it was like seven, eight, nine pages of stuff. And um, uh, I sent it in and I got I got a phone call and. I got uh, two interviews and the first interview was, went really well. And the second interview was uh, an interview that uh, the lady told me, uh, I can't hire you right now. I can hire you after January 1st, but if you can get hired before then do that because they're changing the retirement system. And uh, if you can get in on the old retirement system, then that's the one you want to be on because, and she, she told me, these words, she said, anytime the government tries to change something to quote unquote, help its employees or help people, you're going to get screwed. (laughs) (laughs) That was good advice. And I took the, so I took the first job and that was for three months, I was doing something. It was interesting, but it wasn't that great. And then after the first of the year, she called me, she said, do you still want that job? I I said, I sure do. And she said, okay, I'll set you up and then get you settled for whatever class it was that I had to have. I said, I'm already set up for that class. Um, I'm supposed to go in two weeks. She said, that's awesome. She said, but I want you before you go to that class. And I said, okay, works for me. She says, I'll see you down here in San Pedro in two weeks. And boom, it went from there. And for after that, I was in fuels, which was where the chemistry comes in from with uh, the biology degree, the lab work, everything like that. I'm very familiar around laboratory stuff. And that's what she was looking for. And that's what got me my job. Well, what I gathered from that story is, you know, you were persistence, number one. And some people, I think these days, they, they have an idea of a direction they want to go career wise, but they don't want to get their, their feet dirty or they don't want to quite do something that is right before that job or whatever. And so you took something on that wasn't quite what you wanted, but you knew it, it would probably get you to where you wanted to be. And it didn't take very long for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was for it. Right time, right place on some of it. But I mean, it was like, I interviewed really, really well uh, for both of the jobs and they both wanted me really, you know, quite strongly. And she said, I'll hire you right now. 
uh, you know, right off the street. She said, but I can't, you know, and, and that was, but it was good. I got my foot in the door and I made a really, really good first impression. And then after that, it was just keep your mouth shut and your ears open and start trying to learn as much as you can. And I, that's what I try to pass on to anybody if you can do that, you know, but you get ahead a lot further. That's why I like doing this podcast and talking to people from different careers and, and a lot of officials, you know, come into play too, but it's, you learn so much about that type, like, like what she just said, what you just told us, like you can take that with you anywhere in any walk of life. And, and, you know, it'll probably improve your life. So uh, really, really good stuff. So what tell the, tell the audience, what exactly is the defense logistics agency? The defense logistics agency. They are the guys that buy $500 toilet seats. They are the guys that buy the rocket fuel for uh, the rockets are putting satellites up for the space shuttle program. Um, that's rocket fuel. They buy liquid oxygen like crazy for the military guys that, uh, you know, they'd like to breathe in those airplanes when they're 50,000 feet up. It's kind of important. Um, they buy all the, like I said, all the fuel for the different rockets that they have. That's, Oh, I mean, all the nasty stuff, not just hydrogen and oxygen, but that hydrazine, any kind of torpedo fuels that you need. But they're the essentially the buying arm for everything that the military uses. Um, they probably, when I say everything, 98%. 90, they buy 98% of what all the military use. And then it gets distributed out. But they, it's all the requests come from the military for what they're doing. And we, uh, that agency fulfills it and they have, they have clothing, they have, um, fuels, which is what I was with. They have ship building, they have aircraft building, everything, you know, that gets manufactured, all gets manufactured then to government specifications. And there's always somebody that looks for, uh, reviewing those specifications, reviewing the quality on everything that's being bought and, that's how they keep track of all that stuff. So it's, you know, that was part of what I did. Wow. It's, and, and I did, I did it with fuels, but that's what the agency does. They handle a lot of money for the government. A mm. lot of money. I don't, don't ask me how much here, but when you see the defense, defense budget being $750 billion or something like that. Yeah. They're probably handling at least 500 million, a billion of that stuff. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's quite a bit. No, I, I know that you know, money makes the world go round and money makes, uh, you know, aircraft carriers go around uh, too, specifically. And, and uh, so that's so fascinating to me because I've often wondered like, where does this money come from or who, who creates this, uh, this ship or the, the, who fuels, you know, directly these uh, planes or whatever. So that seems to be what you were a fuel specialist. You were telling me. Yes. Yes. Quality assurance fuel specialist. And what that does is what we did was uh we would have um, various contracts with various refineries all across the nation, all across uh, the world, literally. We buy fuel all over the place and we move it around to where it's needed, how it has to be into storage systems that uh, sometimes the government owns them, sometimes they, um, they lease them, lease the storage. Uh, they lease the pipeline routes that are being on. They don't lease the pipelines per se, but they fuel runs in the pipelines. And it, of course, gets paid to be transported, you know, to get from point A to point B. 
and um, it goes on ships, it goes on trucks. Um, it has to go from point A to point B and C, and that's what we did. So here's a dumb question for us in California and other parts of the country too. You know, gas prices go up, and you know, California we pay the highest, I think. But so when when you see gas prices go up. Does that mean fuel prices in like that industry, they go up as well, or is it kind of stable? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a thing called PLATS, P-L-A-T-T-S. And the price of fuel uh, that the government buys is um, dictated by the PLATS price, which is um, what the oil companies are paying for. It, and it shifts on a monthly basis. It's not like, okay, if I buy it like... Um, Years ago, Southwest Airlines bought a boatload of fuel at a really, really cheap price and just extended it out so many years, which is why they were so successful to being able to keep their flight prices down and everything like that while everybody else's were going up. I don't know if you knew that or not. But um, what happens is that Platt's price changes every month. And if it goes up, the government pays more. If it goes down, the government pays a little bit less, but it's all tied to that. And it's all tied to, that's an industry-wide standard that they have. Interesting. So you, you don't uh, you don't get screwed over every month and everything like that. <laughs> but as far as civilians going, what's going on into the gas stations, everything like that, yeah, that's kind of like no holds barred. <laughs> well, definitely. And I mean, because it's the military, because it's the government, does does the defense logistics agency do does it have i don't know how to phrase this exactly so like say there's more military conflict there's a war or it's peacetime does it kind of fluctuate based off i mean could the fuel cost not fuel cost but the the whole business of it of it is that changed significantly yeah, yes. yes it does in um in as far as number one expense in wartime it's bombs and bullets and number two expense is fuel. In peacetime, the number one expense is fuel. All right. So, but it does ebb and flow. Um, they were the agencies always trying to be diligent with their dollars as far as how to spend them or where to spend them, and what can we do to um, keep the expenses down? And do we need to have this much fuel on stock? Everything like that. And as technologies change, fuel demands differ quite a bit. Um, so uh, there was, it was one time somewhere back in the early 90s, it was, uh, they were, we were downgrading fuel, not downgrading, we were dropping our fuel inventories worldwide. And everybody's like, what, what, what's going on? By and dropping those inventories, they're dropping the inventories down overseas as well as here in the States. And just when they celebrated, we started celebrating. Yeah, yeah, we did. We got it done quicker than anybody thought. We get it done, and the very next day, Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait. Oh, <laughs> and so that was wow. kind of like, yeah, you did that. So all right, well, we're going to build this back up. <laughs> Everything <laughs> changed overnight, just like that. <laughs> you know, so you put all that work into doing something, you don't know what's going to quite hold. But so you, you try to read the tea leaves, but you know, a lot of times they get blown by the wind. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of peacetime, but there's been a lot of wartime too. I mean, you know, September 11th was in 2001 and then, you know, 
U.S. military has been in the, in the Middle East for quite some time. And, you know, there's the military is all over the world, though. It's not just uh, in, you know, Afghanistan. I mean, it's there's bases everywhere that aren't like, uh, you know, they're fighting or anything. They're just bases around the world. So those like, to your point about fuel costs and everything, those got to be uh, fueled up as well, not just they, in they combat. Have to be sustained as well. Yeah. Yeah, they do. There, every every place in the that we have some place like that. There's some places that are go to Bulgaria and be there on the Black Sea. I mean, we got a place right over there, and it's it's horrible that you have to be there. But I mean, it's somebody has to do it, right? Um, one of the bases that we have in Greece is on the island of Crete. It's a naval base, Suda Bay. It's horrible, but somebody has to be there, right? You know, it's it's just brutal place to be, and I'm being very facetious when I say brutal. It's one of the, the nicest places I've ever been. <laughs> I, I love that island. Let me tell you, it's really well, nice. Well, it's let's talk. Really let's let's talk nice. about that. I I know you've lived in a few places, uh, you know, because of your job, but but just as far as places that you traveled. Uh, in, in business while doing this job, uh, what were some places that you spent some time in either briefly or long-term? I spent, uh, I was, uh, I was in Harstad, Norway, which was, um, 200 miles North of the Arctic circle. Well, and from there I went down to Helsinki. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, believe it or not, it was 82 degrees the whole time I was there. Wow. Just insane. I never thought it would be like that. And then I went down to Helsinki for three days and it was like 92 degrees. It was insane. But um, uh, six months in Turkey, uh, playing games down there, having a good time down there. <laughs> but uh, that was like in three shifts, though. That was two months at a time. I was down there three times. It was two months at a time. So, uh, and so what, why what did we you were... have to go for like chunks of time like that? What we were doing at that time was we were buying fuel from the Turks. And uh, if, if you've ever been exposed to anything that's fake, the Turks are really good at faking things. <laughs> and we had to be on top of them to make sure the fuel met the specifications like crazy. And then we were shipping it from their facilities into Iraq by truck. And the trucks that they have over there those guys, believe me, they're not bulletproof, nor are they theft-proof. Mm. And the only way to stop any kind of theft of that fuel would be to send one guy with every truck. And you're not going to be able to do that. The, those guys are very innovative, but we had to inspect them all, looking for and trying to find the ways they would steal fuel um, just so those guys get kicked out and would be using those trailers and and it was, there were some very unique ways that they would do, you know, just try to steal fuel to be able to get around the Americans' way of, you know, making sure no theft is whatever. Now, having said that, we work in a society where that if you violate a contract, that's bad. You know, you're not supposed to be doing that. The contract says, you're, you know, you're guilty, you do that. In the rest of the world, it's like, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing it, but it's part of our lifestyle. We're allowed to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also allowed to bribe officials. You know? <laughs> so you're working in a world where somebody wants to be your best buddy because they think they're going to get something from you. And you're trying not to let them screw you. 
and he still wants to be your best friend. So it's 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 really funny. It's uh, it's comical at times, and you look at each other, and you know it's a game that's being played. That you just have anything from you, and you're not supposed to be taking anything from me. And that's the way it's going to work. And when I catch you taking it from me, then I got to kick you out. You can be nice to me as much as you want. I can't take anything from you, and I won't take anything from you. But you can't take anything from me. As nice as you want to be and as honest as you say you are, I know you're not doing it. Wow, that's that's a fascinating. Yeah, the whole having to trust people you don't know, you think you know them, but you don't. I mean, and then the culture of the the region that you're out, that's very, very interesting. Because my thought is like fuel is basically like, it's like liquid gold really in, in a lot it of- is. It is. You know, everybody needs it. You know, the especially the military, you, you can't move an army or a navy or whatever without it. Uh, why don't you look up Russian mafia and fuel <laughs> <laughs> in your spare time and see what you can find out about that. It's just, it, it, it's a product that is very easy to get rid of, um, but you can make a lot of money. And that's why people are out there looking for it like crazy. And even in the here in the States, let me tell you, the Russian mafia goes really big on there. They look at ways that they can get fuel and uh, get rid of it and just make a lot of money. They don't care who gets hurt. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts on, you know, everyone's looking at an alternative to, uh, I don't know, fossil fuels or whatever you want to term it. I, I find it hard to believe that, you know, there is other alternatives. I know there's different versions or types of fuel and things, but I'm talking about specifically, you know, the, the fueling that, that we kind of all know uh, there's diesel fuel too. I, you know, some of my trucks I drive are diesel, some are not. I mean, it just varies. So what are your thoughts on, I don't know, there's kind of like this push these days to, we got to find alternative fuels. And I'm like, I don't know that that's possible or necessary really. You can always find an alternate fuel, but the question is how much how much is it going to be subsidized? And all these green fuels, they're all subsidized right now. Uh, you're familiar with the big uh, uh, solar farm outside of Las Vegas, right? On the on the 15. Oh yeah, you see it. Yeah, driving in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, believe it or not, the sun doesn't shine at night. The water that they're boiling up there in a, in a that thing, those towers, doesn't create steam when it's not boiling. And when the sun doesn't shine at night, that thing doesn't work. It's all powered by gasoline, or not gasoline, but natural gas then is used to keep that stuff going so you can keep on making energy out of it. <laughs> there's just, a, there's a fallacy that's, it's, it's like, oh, it looks good, so it must work. Um, fossil fuels, I'm not saying it's the best set, the best source of anything, but fossil fuels in itself, it's so ingrained in our system right now. We haven't found a way to get rid of it, but any way you get rid of it, you're still going to need fossil fuels. The microphone with the foam rubber on it in front of you, that came from crude oil. Any of your plastics or your chemicals that you have, it's all crude oil based. So when you start to think about, oh, we need to get rid of crude oil and petroleum, the cars that you have, you're not going to be able to drive them because those rubber wheels just don't work if they're not on a car, you know, and you're not going to get it because it's all petroleum based. 
and all the plastics that you see, anything that's plastic, it's all coming, it all is chemical industry coming from petroleum. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it's like the the back, but it's, it's like our, our life, it's our lifespan basically uh, with this stuff. And I know at one time, you know, there were no gas, there were no cars, there was none of that. I know at one time, I mean, I don't know where people want us to go. They want us to be back to horse and buggy or whatever, or, but you know, it's just so interesting to me. People want to complain about something. Maybe they don't have all the numbers, all the facts, but they think uh, their way's better. And when there's lots of people who are in the heart of this business in, in this industry, I should say that probably know a thing or two. It's not all about profit. It's just like, if there was a better way, maybe the military would be you doing something different, but I, but there is no better way. Well, the military's task uh, right now to actually find, try to find, um, fossil fuels to run an aircraft, but it has to be, te- it has to be hundred percent dependable. They're not, and it's not going to be something that they test for just a year and say, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. It has to be extremely dependable and a viable source. And when the viable source right now that's being used by the military comes from, um, cow's tallow or, you know, just odds and ends, biodiesel stuff. It's uh, it's not used for any aircraft. Uh, they did have an aircraft that ran on partial, uh, a partial percentage of biofuel. And I haven't heard anything more about it after that. The, the first time it was, it's kind of like, no, it's going to mess the engines up really bad. We don't want that. Uh, so you can't do some things and you can try things. <laughs> I don't know how comfortable I, I would feel as a pilot trying out new fuel in, in a plane, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Put it up in one of those remote control guys. We'll, we'll play with it that way first. <laughs> oh, man. Well, very interesting stuff, John. This is in type of, that's why I want to have you on is kind of get some insight on some thoughts about, you know, fuel and, and you know, the defense industry there, defense logistics uh, agency, I should say. So uh, where are some other places you traveled? We kind of went off the, on a tangent there, but you got to travel quite a bit over the course of your career. Okay, I lived in I lived in Italy for four years, and I lived in Brussels, Belgium area for three years, doing some of this of this stuff, buying the fuel and getting it to wherever, loading ships, boatloads of fuel. You throw ten million gallons of fuel on a boat. Okay, I would have to buy that, make sure it's all good before they even start putting it on. You know, so I'm gonna have to be there, you know, for a week, watching them test it, watching them make it, the whole thing and then verifying the testing before we would start loading ship. Then the ship has to be scheduled to have that, you know? So they may have to hold this for a couple of days or so in, in tanks that the government would rent for them, you know, from the refiner and uh, only put our product in there, whatever. And it's all good. And so I did this in Greece. I did it in Rotterdam. Did it, you know, do it over in England and, and various places there. Down in Spain, down in Africa, believe it or not, in Djibouti, Africa, um, uh, in Turkey. Uh, it's, and then they have, and that's just the area that I cover because where we cover, where I was at in, in Europe, we cover all of Europe and all of Africa. So uh, there was 12 of us. We did a lot of travel. Yeah. Uncle's, Uncle Sam sent me to 50 countries oh, <laughs> and, I've, and I've been to 53 United States, Canada, and Mexico were the ones I was at before I went overseas. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
it's kind of like I got to see a lot of really cool places. I got to see a lot of really crappy places, but each every place I went to was unique and different, and I learned something. Well, it's yeah, that's absolutely learning something in, in different different uh, places of the world. Uh, but it's always nicer to travel, John. I, I umpired minor league baseball for a while, some college baseball, you know, just in within the states here and there. But it's always nicer to travel when someone else is paying for it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot nicer that way. It's a whole <laughs> lot. And then I've I've literally I've literally been eating dinner or lunch, both actually. It's it's happened more than one occasion, overlooking the ancient ruins of Corinth in Greece. And I'm watching the tourists down below, you know, that paid to go there and everything. And I go, and I'm being paid to sit here and eat, which is, it's pretty hard to take, you know? <laughs> oh man, that's great. That is great. What we're so, so living in Italy, uh, you, there's so much history there and so many things to see everywhere you went really, but Italy, I mean, they, they love to eat there. I'm sure you had some amazing meals and the city's shut down right at four o'clock. So everyone can eat dinner. Um, no, uh, you have, it shuts down at one, that's Reposo, <laughs> and then they go home for an hour for a nap, or whatever like that, then they come back, or maybe they don't, and then they, <laughs> they come back, the business will be open for uh, a little while until, but then they'll start, they'll start their dinner late, 8 o'clock, 8.30, 9 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, but they don't open in the morning until like 10. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not much time in there for business hours, it's like, yeah. So it's, you know, but that was, that's one of the things in Italy that was just like, okay, I really like this lifestyle. We should be more like them. Yeah. <laughs> My girlfriend says that all the time when she studied abroad in Italy, she wants me to go back there. I've been there before, but as a teenager. So, uh, well, that, that's a question I have for you. So, you know, everyone here in the States can, can relate uh, to going out to, you know, bars and restaurants and, what were some of the, I guess, favorite places you you went, or ice cities or or countries to go to go have a, a beer at a beer garden or uh, go out for some wine for dinner? Or whatever. Where were some cool places you went to? Well, some a lot some cool places I went. Well, work didn't send me a lot of cool places. Um, where I went purposefully in Italy, there was a little town called uh, Terenia, and there was a bar there called La Squalo. And it, which means the shark. And it was just an awesome place to go to. Nice, relaxing. Uh, one of those things. And then uh, other places that I've been to to go out. Um, St. Petersburg, Russia. Jerusalem. Uh, Cape oh, Town, wow. South Africa. Uh, the, there's always uh, the Mauritius Islands out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Uh, you have to sometimes work takes you to really tough places you, know, to, <laughs> you have to go to keep ukraine oh that was off the hook uh and this those were um that uh Kiev, jerusalem uh saint petersburg those were for presidential support so that was um um that's interesting as well who are the biggest drinkers in all the different countries you've been to I've never been to Finland. Uh, yeah, I have been to Finland, but I didn't get to drink with any of those guys. Um, the people that I have drank with the most is probably the Russians. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, Latvia drinks more than the Russians do. It's <laughs> 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 just a little tiny city, little tiny town. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, they can get, yeah, print plastic. But, um, there was a, uh, in Belgium, when I was living in Belgium, there was a place where a lot of Americans went to this one place. It was at a, at a five points where five roads, streets came together to one place. And we just called it five points. But it's the name of the bar was called Der Speak. And I have a real good friend over there now from my sojourns over there. And um, he uh, introduced me to a lot of people, but we would go down there. Uh, the Americans would go down there until four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, you know, just sitting there talking, drinking. And then we would literally go next door to the bakery that had already started to bake goods for the next day for the fresh baked goods. We'd go in the back door and buy fresh baked pastries and stuff like that and eat them on the way home after we've been drinking for the night. It was just totally awesome. Sounds like a perfect <laughs> you night. Think, you can't find a place like that anywhere else in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one-stop shop. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a great night. Man, yeah, fresh, fresh, fresh pastries. Great stuff. Uh, well, John, let's talk a little a little football specifically. Uh, you mentioned you when you were in Glendora back in the States that you had started officiating a few years after, after moving there. So what got you involved in officiating? I was, I had gotten divorced and I was like, oh, man, I need something to do besides just, you know, <laughs> whatever like that. And one of my sons was uh, playing basketball at Upland, which is where I moved to. And um, after one of the ball games, I went and asked one of the officials and did you know Bobby Simmons? No. Okay. Um, he was, uh, he told me about, they're going to have a softball meeting and a basketball and a football. And he told me how to get a hold of so-and-so. And, um, I went to my first football meeting, uh, the very next year on, on doing that. And I think that was like in 93, 94, something like that. I Oh, um, and then um, next thing I know, I'm referee of football with um, Kevin Smith, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Down at uh, Roland, Roland Heights, you know. And it was <laughs> so what made you, I'm curious, what made you go up to a basketball referee at the end of the game? Did you, did you kind of notice him running around or, or what? In, I used to ref in a murals even in college. And they liked me. They liked me because I was, I seemed to, A, I, I was fair, but I always seemed to be in the right spot at the right time to make a call. And little did I know at that time, that's 90% of officiating right there. Yeah. Being in the right spot at the right time and, and making the call, being, being in position. And um, it was something I want to get back out because I knew I could do it. Oh. I, I knew I could do it. I had a good eye and I had, A, I had a good feel for the game. I played the game before. Um, you know what you're looking for. You know what's going on out there. And then you just, then it's a matter of just, hey, hook it up with the right people to do it. Yeah, I'm wearing, I'm wearing. I, and I, I think, looking back, I think I may have, refer, I, I may have been your first white hat for an afternoon game down at, um, uh, what's the one off of Valley um, in um, Hacienda Heights? Not, not in Walnut? Hacienda Heights. Walnut, yeah. Well, I think that's where I first met you. I, 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 I remember my first game. I don't, it wasn't that one, but I, no, I, I remember working. I think we, yeah, we did work together on a, on a field and uh, I was trying to be all ears, all ears and, you know, learn something from everybody. Sometimes you learn things 
to do and things not to do as well. So uh, yeah, that, I think that is where we first met. I, I think that is. I think it was. Yeah. I'm wearing the, the Foothill Citrus uh, polo here for those not watching on, on YouTube. Uh, you know, we're proud uh, members of that unit. Now you said you did football. Did you work any other sports for Foothill Citrus? I did um, girls fast pitch and I did basketball. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Very, very cool. So I always ask this with guys who do football and other sports, because I think I know the answer, but maybe you're different. Uh, what was your favorite sport to officiate of all the sports you did? Oh, football, of course. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. It's, and it's, it's, it's because of the camaraderie that you get with the guys. Mm. You really have, you have a five man crew, you know, that you, you all have to learn to get along and work with what you've got and you've got to trust each other to cover your position. I can't, I can't be a line judge on one side and be expected to pick up what the linesman, the head linesman is on the other side that he missed or isn't looking at because I'm not looking at that stuff. You know, it's, I've got to trust that guy to do it. And as a whitehead, he's got to trust four guys, not just himself, but four guys as well to be able to be on the, the right place at the right time. And I don't know, are they, are they up to six officials now for high school or seven? No, uh, they, they did seven. So for a while they did seven man in a few uh, league games or whatever, you know, the, the schools that wanted it. And then for playoffs, I think they start seven man in the semifinals now, uh, Okay, but five man most of the year. So yeah, you show up with four other guys usually, and Hey, let's go run the, let's go run this game. It's uh 11 on one team, 11 on the other. And, and the five of us trying to sort it all out. So that's always fun. I like that aspect of it too. And it's an intense two and a half hours. It's fun to run, what run around and, you know, run a game. What are some of your memories from officiating John, whether it be your first game or some crazy situations that occurred on a field, or maybe some of the, the names and faces that you worked with? Well, the, um, <laughs> Uh, I had a streak going for three weeks in a row that I, the three kids went to the hospital. They were, oh. uh, they just got horrific injuries. Oh. And um, it was just, just one of those things. I mean, they're getting rolled over and, you know, knees dislocated, compound oh. fracture of the, the ankle uh, area, that kind of stuff. And it was just like, yeah, let, get me off this train. Cause that's no fun at all. Mm. And it has nothing to do with you. It's all about that kid that's being hurt. And, you know, yeah. just like, you don't want that to happen to your worst enemy. But um, some of the, the best, one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me is I was at the old, um, the old field there in Covina and I was the back judge and it was Covina versus, I don't know who it was. I don't remember, but um uh, Rocky was uh, Rocky Benar was our our, our our head our white hat, and there was a punt, and I was back with the guy, and I was far enough behind him. Well, I stayed behind him on the right side, just where he's at, and the guys closed on him pretty quick, and he decided he's going to run around behind me, and I'm trying to backpedal to get him, keep him in front of me, and everything like that. And the next thing I know, I hit a sprinkler head that's that's lower. Uh, on the field, you know, it's down in a little dip like this. And I went down to that. And I went asshole over tea kettles, you know, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and it was just like, I go, whoa, that wasn't supposed to happen. If, uh, you, if you haven't officiated from your back, you haven't officiated <laughs> long enough. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's, uh, that's funny. And then, then I had one, uh, there was some kid got hurt. And it was, it was an afternoon game. 
And I'm, I'm the white hat and I'm not blowing the whistle because the kid's still trying to go forward and everything like that. And somebody comes up and just finally, you know, the kid's sort of fighting to go forward and the guy's trying to hold him and hold him and hold him. And another guy comes up and blasts him, lazy mouth, you know, legal hit. It's over at Rancho Cucamonga. And the trainer comes over and he starts barking at me. That never happened if you blow your whistle, blah, 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 blah. This is before they had the, the, the rule you know, the sideline guys, keep your mouth shut. Don't be barking at officials, doing anything like that. Or boom. And the guy kept it up. And I told him, and Don Corey was there. And this is, you asked Don about pounding sand. And I told the guy, I goes, you just need to get over your other side there and go pound sand. All right, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Don and I would see each other and say, hey, you pounded any sand? No, not lately. <laughs> 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 that's hilarious uh who are some of the who are some of the guys you mentioned on Corey, rocky better uh who are some guys in the unit that were really i don't know memorable you talk about the brotherhood and everything who are some of the guys from Foothill citrus that were you know that that you will always remember for oh, rich rich riley is one that i just oh. really love that guy that, 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 he's really really guy really really awesome uh terry o'hearn quiet reserved Classic, very nice, oh. very knowledgeable, mm-hmm. very knowledgeable. Um, of course, Tracy's always special. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just you know a good guy, easy to talk to, talk through the whole thing. Mike Gotra was uh, another guy that was just really easy to talk to, and he'd listen through whatever that you had to tell him, and you'd sit there and you'd start analyzing things. And I mean, he was he was really really pretty good. Um, uh, Let's see. I always enjoyed working with Scott Root. Uh, Scott, Scott's just a lot of fun. And of course, Max, Max is Max. He's just, he's just a great guy. You know, <laughs> uh, he's, he's a lot of fun. My, Max is a lot of fun. I really enjoy that man. Um, another couple guys. That, let's see. What was his, I'm trying to think. Um, there were some guys, they weren't the big knowners. I really always enjoyed being with them and working with them. And that was one was Jesse O'Connor. He's just part of the, the, the Mexican brotherhood, yeah. you know, and <laughs> Ernie, Ernie, Ernie Franquino, another one of those like that. Just, just enjoyed. We had a, a good pleasurable time, even Sherman Garnett. I just enjoyed being around these guys because they just had a, a, a good vibe, a good thing going on with them. You know, you know, what, just, you know what's awesome is, is football. You, you mentioned it's five guys and, we all come from all walks of life, but we go in that locker room and we're one team for that night. And it's like, Hey, let's go. Like no one yeah. cares where we come from. No one cares what we do for a living. You know, people care about the product we're going to put on the field tonight. So that was always special to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There was one guy I didn't get to work with him much. And uh, his name was Mots Thomas. And I don't know if you know him or you've heard of him or not, but mm-hmm. he, um, he went up to Washington, I think, but he, I mean, he was, I think he was about my age, but he ended up passing away here a few years ago. He had a, I guess, a major heart attack or whatever, just boom. Next thing I knew he was gone, but he was, uh, Mott's Thomas was one of those kind souls that just, he was there for you all the time. I mean, you ever want to talk or do whatever, that's, that was just him. Quiet, unassuming gentleman that was just, uh, yeah. And he lived around the corner from me too. So oh, we got man. together, we go hit the sticks every now and then and uh, just have a good time. 
well, those, those, uh, those golf tournaments, as I mentioned earlier, you know, were always a blast. Joe, Joe Brunanski ran those and there was, a, <laughs> there was a lot more beers than pars we'll say, you know, out there and, uh, you didn't take it too serious. You had some fun. Uh, those were great memories always kind of towards the end of the season. Uh, those are my kind of fondest memories of, uh, Foothill Citrus, but also Friday nights going to pizza chalet or round oh. table pizza. Friday nights, yeah, it's great. You know what's it's what's really fun is is being able to watch Sean's career. Mm, you know, uh, he worked with me all the time, and I was always his white hat. I think he was never a white hat for me. I was always his white hat. <laughs> Got to get better, kid. Now he's up there on Sundays and Mondays and Thursday nights calling the big boys. You yeah. know, it's, but you 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 can see in him. You can. It was easy to see in him where he was. He was. He was already polished before he ever came to Foothill Centrals. Yeah, Sean Hockley is not where he's at because of his last name by any means. No, he's not, not by any means. And what's awesome about Sean, like a lot of uh, – there's there, he's just an example of many guys, but especially Foothill Citrus, he, he's a guy that was always so happy to see – guys when he would come back to speak at a banquet or you or me hey matt how's hey he'd always ask hey matt how's baseball going i'm like sean you're you just worked the steelers ravens on sunday what do you care about what i'm doing in baseball like he's just a sincere humble guy and he has so many friends at foothill citrus and he's one of uh, definitely one of our finest officials uh, ever to go through it yeah i'd love to come back in october and go to the banquet one time just to walk in and see, but I would, they're probably, they're probably three people that know me now. <laughs> that would, you know what I say? Here's what I say, John, I'm, I'm technically retired from Foothill Citrus. We need to have a, a retired officials Foothill Citrus banquet at the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll crash it sometime. Maybe even fly Tracy out from Vegas. Yeah. I was going to say, we got to maybe bring Tracy in or we just go all have it at Tracy's house. Well, <laughs> Tracy's house. We'll, we'll get, uh, we'll have him buy drinks. All those assigner fees we paid him over the years. He can, he can afford it. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, I think that'd be really good. <laughs> so, uh, John, with all your travels, did you have to take breaks from officiating, you know, being in other countries all the time? Well, actually, um, I refereed um, softball and basketball when I was in Italy. No way. Yes, I was working with the, with the morale, welfare, and recreation, but they always had softball tournaments all the time. Uh, different bases coming in and I was always doing that and then the basketball was the same thing plus I did the high schools would come in and I would referee their high school basketball there and then I refereed uh, when I was in Belgium I was uh, refereeing football up there so I was able to keep my hand warm and everything else uh, good to go and keep my mechanics sharp when I came back they, they played football in Belgium oh yeah yeah and then well, all the all the American schools had football teams, and so you'd have kids coming from England over to Belgium to play, for, up from Germany, you know, uh, up from Italy. Uh, it, it was awesome. How did they find officials to to work? Like, because I mean, I, I that was the, that was the one thing that I asked was, how do you find officials? Well, we get guys that have some kind of experience, and we we do them. And I started talking to one of the guys. I said, "Tell me something." And I started asking him questions and I said, they let you referee this stuff? I goes, you don't know what you're doing. He goes, what are you talking about? Because I've got all this experience, blah, 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 blah. He goes, really? I goes, yeah. He goes, you're going to be wearing a white hat next week. I'm here to see you. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you're going to give us all a quick course on where we need to be and what we're supposed to be looking at. So it was, it was really kind of funny about doing that because it was a, 
it was a, uh, and they said, okay, how, what are you doing? How are we doing it? And so this is what happens. And they, I just sat down for like four nights in a row. We all met and I just started going over the finer points for them. And this is what you're doing. And this is where you need to be. And it's all because I learned my mechanics under the right guys at uh, Foothill Citrus. That's incredible. I mean, if you really, really think about it, like think about how many people in this world have been able to officiate football in another country. There's, you know, there was NFL Europe and, and there's a, an NFL game in, you know, England every year, but high school football. Well, those are fun to attend, by the way. Oh, are they? <laughs> oh, they're about blast. It. I went up to, I was there uh, when I was in Belgium. I went to, uh, went over on the ferry and um, uh, took the train up uh, once we got to Dover. And then uh, uh, it was, we spent like four days there because it's, it's a big thing. It's a big, it's a big party for four day party for the, the NFL guys and the, the people there just absolutely love it. They absolutely love it. And then they have 80,000 people in the stands. And I was there and I saw San Francisco play the, the Panthers. And uh, so it was kind of like, that was, well, I knew who was going to win, you know, at that time, you know, but it was just, a, it was an absolute mayhem blast and everybody's yelling and screaming at each other, just having a good time uh, before the game, after the game, three days before the game, they've got some people that are over there from the 49ers and the Panthers answering questions, retired guys. Uh, answering questions. In fact, um, uh, Joe Montana was there, you know, and, you know, doing uh, interviews with uh, the press and all that kind of stuff about the, the football coming over and, and uh, just how good it was and how happy, you know, just building relationships is what it's all about. And that's what they're doing. I mean, would it go over totally for the NFL to have a team in London and then playing? I don't know, man. That's uh, that, that time's that time change can be pretty brutal. Oh, you know, yeah. it really can. I mean, it's only six hours, five hours or whatever it is from the East coast, but uh, it's eight hours from the West coast. And that's, that's pretty tough stuff. So you've got to fly over. You better have a bye week You know, you better leave the night that night after your game on Sunday night, you better leave for London. Cause it's going to take you two days. Then you better be having a bye week whenever you get back. Mm. You're going to need it. Yeah, really. Good. I've, had, I've had some travel experiences that uh, that could really mess you up because you don't know if you're coming or going sometimes as far as how, how far you've been. Where did you go in the last month? I literally went from Italy to Cleveland to or Italy to Los Angeles, back to Italy, back to Cleveland, back out here to California, back out to California, back to Cleveland, um, back to Italy. And then up to Riga, Latvia, um, after I got back. And that was all in a matter of four weeks. <laughs> and it was just like, wait, what? I had that feeling uh, in the in the minor leagues of baseball, the teams, you know, base coach come out and say, hey, where are you guys coming from? And you had to think about it for a second. Wait, where did we just drive from? Like, so I can't imagine being on a plane all the time. Oh, yeah. My travel. mom asked me, goes, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you deal with this? How do you know where you are? Goes, Sometimes I don't. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that nothing wrong at all. uh what what uh 
you know, I think you asked me off the where off the air how I, uh, you know, when I walked away from officiating, and uh, I just had some other things I needed to pursue at the time, and I had a good run at, at officiating uh, football and and other sports. But what ultimately was your decision to uh, retire from Foothill Citrus football officiating? Well, mine was mine was I had seen too many guys my age. I'm 69 right now, so and I walked away from it a, a few years ago. But um, uh, I've seen a bunch of guys just hang on and hang on and hang on and hang on and then end up getting hurt mm. and just being miserable. And then they still try to, you know, push through it. And, and, you know, and, and I'm going, I'm not going to die a cripple just for a football game. Okay. And I'm not going to do, I'm just not going to do that. And so that's, a, that's eventually, it was just a matter of, I'm going to protect my health as long as I can uh to, to get away from it and i i was talking to max about it he's he says oh man you can come back like that and i said no i'm not going to max and that was the year he pulled his achilles <laughs> <laughs> how's that for irony L- let me ask you this in all your years uh, you don't have to agree with me in all the years of traveling you've done uh in all the places you've been experiences you've had um for me and I haven't done nearly the traveling that you've done, but I've kind of done some, you know, within the States and things to me, there's still nothing better. And I miss it a little bit. I'm not going back anytime soon, but there's still nothing better than a Friday night, right around 10, 10 30, sitting around a tall pitcher of beer, a nice big piece of pizza and getting opinions and hearing stories from your fellow football officials uh, sometime in the fall. Dude, that is the best. <laughs> that, that's that's the best. I mean, if if you could do that as a retired guy, if you could do that, like say once a month or once every two months, whatever like that, and just being around with all those guys like that, that just, it's awesome. It's awesome. It was yeah. just, I think it just, it helps to build a camaraderie for one, but at the same time, if you got your ears open, you're learning things. Learning. I was just going to say, I mean, how many, I don't know how many times guys have argued about something and guy storms off to his car to get the rule book, comes back. <laughs> it's like, wait, okay, you were right. Never mind. You know, it's just stuff like that. That's my, my, mine on that was just ask Rich. He knows what's going yeah. on. Exactly. <laughs> go, 5.3.4. Yeah. Every crew, every crew, there's someone. Uh, he probably knows. Let's ask him. But uh, yeah, you have stories and things that you never seen before. Like, we all have this piece of paper, this rule book or case book that, okay, things happen, but to truly experience something much like you, like you studied biology and all this, you didn't know that you'd be going into this industry. Uh, you had to kind of learn it as you went. Exactly. Exactly. And you just, like I said, I just kept my mouth shut and asked questions and listened. What a concept. I hope everyone takes that with them today. Uh, yeah, football officiating. It was, it was a blast and we'll, we'll get, well, 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 you're in Carolina now, but we'll, we'll, we'll do something. We got to get a, a zoom meeting. Maybe, I don't know, uh, with football officials on a Friday night. Uh, let me ask you this as we kind of wrap it up, John, um, just kind of, kind of for fun, nothing, uh, too, too serious or anything. You and I both like to, uh, have a, have a, a beverage at the end of the day usually. So what are some of your, uh, favorite drinks? Are you a whiskey guy, vodka, wine, all of the above beer guy? Tell me what are your, uh, what's your top list? I'm a beer guy but I also like wine, but there's nothing better than a nice bourbon to, you know, relax the soul. 
<laughs> relax, relax the soul. I like that a lot. I'm going to use that one. Oh, you know, it's just there's some there's something about it that's just like ah yeah. Mm. So well, I my my the one that I like right now, the one I'm drinking right now is a Basil Hayden's, and um, uh, I've recently had uh, some good taste of uh, Old Taylor and Elijah T. Lee, which is one that you can't find. You almost have to be invited to the auction to get it. It's extremely expensive. I just happened to be in the right place, right time to try that one. And that was like, holy cow, that's that's worth every penny of that bottle. <laughs> yeah, story of your life, John, right place, right time. That's what it sounds like. That's yeah, called somebody's watching out for old John. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I, somebody's watching out for all of us if we just pay attention. Oh, man, I, I couldn't have said it better myself, man. Yeah, someone is looking out for all of us if we're just paying attention. Well, uh, John, this has been a lot of fun. I, I think... Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go relax the soul a little bit more myself, but pour myself another something after talking with you. But this has been so much fun uh, chatting with you. Thank you for doing this. And, and, and God bless you, man. Enjoy the good life, a retired life in North Carolina. Oh, we almost made it. And you froze. Oh, here he comes. You're back. You're back. I'm back. Okay. You're back. I'm sorry, John. Enjoy. I don't know if everyone heard this, but anyway, God bless you, man. Thank you so much for doing this and uh, enjoy the nice retired life in Northern North Carolina, man. I I most certainly will. If you get back this way, give me a holler. You have my phone number. I do. And we can arrange some golf somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, it might, it might not be on Pinehurst number two, because you don't want to pay $600 to do that. Neither Ooh, do I. No. <laughs> And, no. have kick your, and have it kick your butt? Why bother with that? Yeah, I'm more of a 19th hole kind of guy. You know what I mean, John? There you go. There's Well, there's some good places right there. <laughs> Looking over the 18th hole from Pinehurst number two where you can get really good bourbon. <laughs> Ooh, okay. That Yeah, that sounds like it. Well, I will keep that in mind uh, with my travel. Say, hey, I know a guy in, in North, North Carolina that I can go see. So uh, I, also yeah. know the bar, I also know the bartender there. Oh, that, that is that is we talked about liquid gold earlier i mean that's gold in itself right there uh yeah go relax the soul john i'm gonna do so myself thank you for doing this this has been so much fun great seeing you man max um same same here guy it was uh it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it i was out of the blue i wasn't expecting this at all but this, this has been a lot of fun i reach out i reach out to people man uh, uh, you know the, the, over this past year and it's just been like, hey, you know, I know you, you know, you know me. Let's let's have a conversation over, a, you know, a little podcast. And yeah, some people are hesitant, but you you weren't, and I really appreciate that. So uh, this has been a blast, John. And uh, we will see you down the road, man. Cheers. You take care of yourselves, and if I can leave you with one thought, it's behave yourself, even if it's poorly. <laughs> I will put that in my arsenal. Thank you, sir. Have a All good right. one. Take Great. care, bud. Bye Cheers. Now. Man, John Hyde, what can you say? Uh, that was so much fun talking about his work in the defense uh, industry there uh, with with fueling and uh, football officiating, all of his travels, uh, the, the various experiences he has had. That's what we're looking for here on the Get Home Safe podcast, just opportunities to share people's stories, their journeys through life, uh, whatever it may be, whatever their career path may be. That's what we like to do on Fridays uh, to you know, get, get, uh, get some uh, perspective on various walks of life. So thank you to John Hyde for doing that. Uh, looking forward to next week already with more podcasts and more interviews. Uh, this was just so much fun. So John, 
again, I told you on the air, but thank you. That was a, that really was a lot of fun uh, chatting with you and catching up. And as I tell you guys on the podcast, almost every week, it's fun catching up with people. It's fun to, uh, to have a conversation. It gives you an excuse to talk with someone that you haven't talked to in a while. So uh, I continue to be blessed here on the podcast. And I greatly appreciate all the support out there from you guys, from the avid listeners, from the, the viewers on YouTube. I'm going to try to keep this going. Got a few more interviews already set up for next week and the weeks following, but I, I want to continue to just have conversations with friends or colleagues or even people that I don't know, because uh, I truly am blessed from it each and every day. Uh, anyway, that's enough for me today on the Get Home Safe podcast. Everyone out there, have a wonderful weekend as we head into, uh, let's see, the end of June here. Where it'll be July before you know it, which is crazy to think about considering the crazy year, year and a half we've had almost. Uh, but anyway, to everyone out there, be safe, have a great weekend. And guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like apple spotify google and many more we also have a youtube channel that is brand new for us not a whole lot of content on there yet but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time so lots of options out there guys we'd love to hear from you send us an email offer uh, some suggestions or content the uh, topics or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.